James chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. James chapter 3, taking a break from what Lamar's walking you through. I asked him if he wanted me to do it, to preach on the fruit of the Spirit, and he said, no, save that for me. I said, okay, you can have it. It's your church. So we're going to look at James chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control his whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Benjamin Franklin once said, A slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. Another great philosopher once said, if, uh, quoting his father, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. And I don't know about you, but I have to be very careful about what I say and how I say it. If I don't guard my mouth, I can be very hurtful with my words. Sometimes I'm just going for the laugh. Sometimes I'm actually trying to get a zing in because maybe I was hurt or I'm angry or whatever. But it's very easy for me to cause verbal injury. Some of you may already know that this letter that James wrote, the half-brother of Jesus is who wrote this letter, is, is uh, this, uh, the letter of practicality. I like to call it a, a how-to manual of how to live our faith. Of course, the scripture is full of instructions and directions on how we live our lives. But James is one of the most practical books, and it addresses some of the most practical things in our lives. And we, we ask, how shall I live as a follower of Jesus? And we just have to look at the book of James to get... That's just one place that we, have, that we can look to get some great instruction. Our tongues reveal who we truly are. It gives us great insight as to the, the actual condition of our hearts. The tongue is also the easiest way for us to sin. There are some sins that we might not ever commit because we might not be tempted in that way, or we might not have the opportunity to participate in that kind of a sin. But there is no limit for any of us as to what we can say or what we will say because there are no built-in restraints on our tongues. The Bible describes the tongue as wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. And that's just a small example as I was looking through the scripture to find some descriptions of the tongue. In fact, the tongue, our use of the tongue is such a big deal that James makes reference 
to speech or to our tongue in every single chapter of this short letter that he wrote. But right here in chapter 3, he goes beyond just the mention of, a tongue, of the tongue and, and spells some things out for us, goes into some greater detail, using it as yet another test of those of us who are following with Jesus and how sincere we are in our faith. The sincerity of our faith, of course, can be seen by what we say. James also tells us it's seen in what we do also. But we have to remember that the tongue can only say what it's told to say from the heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. We understand that. One, one author says, and I'm quoting him, he says, Nowhere is the relationship between faith and works more evident than in a person's speech. What you are will inevitably be disclosed by what you say. It may be said that a person's speech is a reliable measure of his spiritual temperature, a monitor of the inner human condition. So our tongues are a big deal. Our speech is a big deal. It reveals what's going on inside of us. When a person receives Christ as Lord and Savior, the, the Bible tells us that that person becomes brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and, sue, and see, the new has come. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He, he enters our lives the moment we receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And when he comes in, the Holy Spirit begins then to transform our hearts and to change us from the inside out. That's why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A transformed heart, then, will produce a transformed lifestyle. And then the obvious step is a transformed lifestyle, or excuse me, a transformed heart, then also spills over into transformed speech. What we say to one another, how we say things to one another. So that new speech corresponds to the transformation that's taking place in our hearts for our new behavior as well. We have to be very careful, though, that we don't live with this, I can't help it, that's the way God made me type of an attitude. I've said that myself. I've heard many people, that's just the way I'm wired. Folks, if we believe that Jesus can change our lives, then it doesn't matter the way that we're wired. He can change the wiring. He can rewire us. In fact, that's what's happening when Jesus comes into our lives. He's rewiring our hearts and our minds to seek him. And no longer our own agenda or ourself or anything like that. So really, when we say things like, that's just the way I am, that's really just an excuse to say, I kind of like the way I am and I don't want God to change me. At least that's true for me. Now, there's three things in this passage that I'd like to point out to you this morning. First, there's something for us to consider. Something for us to consider. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. I don't know if you realize this or not, but in that day and time, to be a rabbi was extremely, it was an extremely big deal to be a rabbi in that day and age. Rabbis were kind of like the first rock stars. 
They had following. That's, you know, they didn't go to school. They didn't have a building that they went to school, so the people followed the rabbis around. And what he said went. He was the, the authority in, in interpreting the Scripture. And so it appears that James is not necessarily addressing those who feel called to be teachers, but who's, who wants to be a teacher for the wrong reason. That, that's kind of a heady thing, isn't it? If I'm a good rabbi, people follow me around. That's, that's kind of cool. So James is really addressing those folks who, whose motives are not out of a sense of calling, but out of a sense of elevating self. So we can paraphrase what the Lord is saying to us through James in this way. Brothers and sisters, God has not seen fit to call many of us to be teachers don't be in a hurry to become teachers unless you are certain that God has called you and has entrusted you, uh, entrusted to you the spiritual gift of teaching. Be content with whatever gifts and calling God gives to you. Don't try to be what you are not. Joyfully be what God has called you to be. Use your gifts in the ministry to others and to the glory of God. If you teach, do it to the glory of God. If you do not teach, do it to the glory of God. Only then can you be truly fulfilled. Part of, a, part of the reason, I think, for the strong statement is to help those who would hear this letter originally and, and us through time understand that, that teachers are held to a higher level of responsibility. We, we do have an audience, whether it's a small audience of a Sunday school class or a, a three, a, you know, just three folks in a small group or something like that, but those who are teaching, who are leading, we have a responsibility to speak the truth of the Scripture. There's no, there's no time, no room for opinions on the Scripture. We, we, we teach what God tells us in His Word. It, it's a deep level of, of responsibility. And so James is kind of just giving a warning. It shouldn't be taken lightly, of course. Nothing in the scripture should be taken lightly. I don't know why we do that. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter, folks. So if this is true of everyone, as, Matthew, uh, excuse me, as Jesus is speaking of, if it's true of everyone then James is saying it's certainly or especially true for those who teach. And he's not discouraging people from becoming teachers. He's not trying to do that so nobody else will be a teacher. One of our great Baptist theologians who's gone on to be with the Lord, a fellow named Tommy Lee, says this, this passage in James, it raises the dignity of the position by pointing out the dangers and responsibilities of the office for those who might otherwise neglect these requirements, it seeks to restrain the rush into office by those who lack spiritual qualifications for it. Sometimes in the church, we have a need. We need a fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And in an effort to try to fill that hole, we just grab the first body that we see that's willing to do. But we have to be very careful that we don't put them in a position that they don't need to be in. Perhaps that's a Bible study for some other time. But you get what I'm saying. All people, James is telling us, not, not just teachers, but all people, trip up spiritually many times and in many ways. I love how James 
says, notice he says, for we all stumble in many ways. When you, when you go back and you look at James chapter 1 and you read the, the first verse, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do, do you remember, and I mentioned it a moment ago, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He, he, he understands this stuff. If anybody could be a name dropper or anything like that, James could do it. I, James, based on what my brother told me, am telling you this. But instead, he says, I, James, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he includes himself here in verse 2. For we all stumble. Even the half-brother of James is admitting that this is an issue for all of us. And so we have to be careful. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The all part, let me, let me do you, help you with a little word study. In the Greek, the word all means all. It's not that hard. Although it did take me 20 years to get a master's degree, but that's, that's another Bible study altogether. <laughs> I'm not sure I ever really earned my uh, bachelor's degree. I think the president of the university just said, just get him off campus. I don't care. Get him out of here. I'm tired of his face. Go Greyhounds, by the way. But the Lord inspires James to remind us that as long as that we are alive physically, we are going to stumble into sin, all types, and on many different occasions. And then he zeroes in on the use of our tongue as if to say, and this is the easiest way for us to sin. We all stumble in many ways and on many different occasions, but this is the easiest because this happens to every single one of us. We all stumble in many ways, but our tongues are the easiest way for us to stumble. All throughout Scripture, there are so many different places telling us of the need for us to control our tongues. Psalm 34, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Psalm 39, verse 1, I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. Proverbs 10, verse 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Do you know what I like to think that that verse says? It's better to keep your mouth shut. Proverbs 21, verse 23, the one who guards his mouth and, and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. How many of you, how many of us, have ever gotten ourselves in trouble by something that we've said? Let me see a show of hands. I see there's some honest people in church this morning. It happens to all of us. This isn't new information for us, is it? It's, what we, it's where we live. It's where we are. We understand this, what James is telling us. But the implication that James is telling us here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying that if we can learn to control our tongue, it will spill over into other areas of our lives and we will have better control of our lives in the way that we live, in a way that's honorable to the Lord Jesus Christ instead of in a way that brings 
dishonor to his name or to the church or even to ourselves sometimes. James says if we're able to do that, we can be mature, able to control his whole body. In other words, a a person who doesn't stumble in what he says gives evidence, shows evidence of a pure and a mature heart which, again, is the source of our speech. Remember, our hearts are the source of our speech. And by what we say, we give evidence to that. By the way, in the world that we live in, that goes for our fingers as well. And our postings to social media. It's interesting to me sometimes to see... I don't, I don't get on Facebook very often. I'm more of an Instagram person. Instagram's faster. I want things to happen quickly. But it's interesting to me, I'll see a verse, the verse of the day. You know, you version has it, you can post the verse of the day on social media. Makes me feel very spiritual when I do that. And then something about the country or something about the world or something about the stupid way the Cubs are playing right now or something about whatever, and I post something else right after that that would not be uh, evidence of the fact that I follow Jesus. <laughs> we do that, don't we? So it goes for our fingers as well as our mouths. Think of us in modern times that we live in. Our fingers are just an extension of our mouths. In fact, sometimes I think we're a little too bold with our fingers and we need to back off a little bit. Again, that's another Bible. I've got a whole series. If y'all invite me back, just let me know. (laughs) Now, we we can never actually be perfect in the sense that Jesus is perfect in, in our speech or in any other way for that matter, but we can, when, when James talks about perfection, he's really talking about maturity. We can grow towards spiritually, to, to be more spiritually mature and have a, a more pure heart. The, the transformation of our hearts is a lifelong process. It's not going to be finished until, at least on this side of heaven. It's a lifelong process for us. But we can continue to allow God to transform our hearts so that more and more our speech reveals the transformation that's taking place in our hearts. More and more, our actions are are revealing what's taking place in our hearts. Think of it this way. The ability to control our tongue is evidence of our maturity. Again, that if we're able to control our tongues, then we're able to control everything else, or better, able to control. The second thing is that there's something for us to remember. James gives us something to remember Look at verses 3 through 8 again. Now, if we put bits into the, uh, the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the, pilot, uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire uh, sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James gives us three very practical and and easily understood illustrations to drive home the point that he's making. I'm sure you folks understand this, but a horse's bit is nothing, just a small piece of metal that goes across the tongue of a horse. Compared to the horse, it's small, right? If you've ever ridden a horse before, 
But it's kind of a cool thing. That bit, you direct the animal, you pull the reins to the left, he goes left. It's, it's magical. You, back, you pull him real hard to the back, he'll stop. If you go a little bit more, he'll back up or turn right. It's an amazing thing. That tiny piece of metal compared to the whole size of the animal is, control, is controlling where you want to go. Unless you ride a horse that I rode one time, it was feeding time, and I could not get her out of the barn. <laughs> we all also know, understand what a rudder on a ship does, and compared to the size of the ship, it's small. Yet that little tiny piece sticking out at the back of the ship directs the entire vessel at the will of the pilot. If he wants to turn left, he just cranks the wheel, and the boat eventually begins to turn. You all remember the song, Pass It On? It only takes a spark to get... That's the kind of stuff we sang at camp. Now you've got to have a whole band. You used to just be able to have a piano, but anyway. <laughs> that, that song illustrates how just a small spark can get the, the fire of, of revival or, or the fire of the Holy Spirit moving, but, but also the opposite is true. A small spark, the fire of our tongue, could set someone's life on fire. That's what James is illustrating. These three simple illustrations to help us to understand what he's talking about. Just in case we didn't get it before, he makes it even more simple for us to understand or at least points to something that we would have an understanding of. Even if we don't own a boat or have never been on a boat, we know how a rudder works. We understand how small sparks work and how a tiny little piece of spark can set an entire forest on fire. We've experienced that even here in New Mexico all the time. James says that the tame, or excuse me, the, the tongue is the same. It's a small muscle. In fact, it's one of the smallest in our bodies, yet is one of the most powerful muscles that we possess. And we don't even have to work out. It's just naturally strong. From a purely physical sense, our tongue really does nothing more than to help us sip from a straw and to chew our food or lick ice cream and to form our words. But according to James, our tongues are a world of unrighteousness. Some of your translations may say a world of evil. Our, our tongues are, are a big deal. One writer says uh, in describing this verse uh, that James is describing it as a brewing, smoldering mass of potential destruction. James even goes on to say that the tongue itself is set on, by, uh, set on fire by hell. The evil that is in our tongue comes from the source of all evil, and that is the enemy, the devil himself. That's where that comes from. And it can affect the whole person, and it can bring corruption to the whole person, and it can bring corruption to a, a whole body of believers if we're not careful. And then James moves beyond horses and ships and forests, and he includes all animals. He says, but every kind of animal is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The point that James is trying to make is that no one, no person in our own strength, in our own power will ever be able to control the tongue. It takes discipline, yes, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and God transforming our hearts that our tongues, that our lives will ever be truly transformed. 
We can't do it by ourselves. We can't just be committed and say, I'm never going to say a mean thing ever again. It doesn't work that way. It might work for a little bit. But we need the powerful transformation, uh, transformational work of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to transform our hearts to affect what we say and how we say it. Finally, James tells us there's something to repair. Something to repair. Verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. When it comes to the use of our tongues, we are consistently inconsistent with our speech. We praise God, and then we turn right around and we curse one of our fellow human beings, kind of make, like what I was making reference to when we do that with our fingers online, but we also do it face-to-face sometimes. We forget that, that our fellow humans are made in the image of the Creator. That's an important thing for us to remember about our fellow human beings. It might help us to treat folks with a little more dignity and a little more respect if we remember that all of us have been created in the image of God Himself. We should never curse them. We bear his likeness to praise the creator and then curse his most precious creation is a terrible hypocrisy for us to participate in. The word here that James uses as curse is referring to that use of any kind of a bitter or callous or unkind or critical or spiteful or angry or harsh word that we say about our fellow humans. And, and James reminds us there's no room for us, or there's no room for that, excuse me, in the, in the body of Christ. James even says in verse 10, my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Stop. Don't do it anymore. It's not supposed to be that way. It should not be that way. Again, James points to something familiar to help us in understanding uh, pure hearts equal pure speech. He gives us the illustration about fresh water coming from a fresh water source. It makes sense to us and a fig tree Bearing figs and a grapevine bearing grapes. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense to us. That's one of the things I love about James. It's so practical and, and easy for us to understand. The hard part is, is making sure that we're allowing God to transform us to the point that we're living out what he's talking about, what he's telling us to do, what he's commanding us to do. A pure heart produces blessings, not curses. And so we cannot allow that to come out of the same mouth. We just cannot. So he's telling us to control our tongues, to learn to control our tongues so that only blessings come out and that we can, through that, we can also keep our whole life in check. 
And we bless people with our actions as well, not just our words. It seems to me that we put a lot of emphasis on avoiding sinful acts, but we are sometimes less intentional when it comes to sinful words. Those are a little more easily passed off. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says, A word spoken at the right time is like golden apples on a silver tray. Colossians 4, 6, Your speech should always be gracious, think filled with grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Speech is a big deal. The words that we use is a big deal to the Lord. Anybody ever heard the phrase or have used it yourself, think before you speak? I heard that? Said that? Yeah? Okay, I see some head nods out there. So if you take that word think, you can create something, a little thing to help you remember this. I want to give this to you. I think it's going to be on the screen. The first thing, before you say something, ask yourself this question. Take the the T. Is it true? Is it true? Sometimes some of the things that we know are true, but they still don't need to be said because the next question is, is it helpful? And then the next question, is it inspiring? And then, is it necessary? That's a hard one. The other ones we might be able to justify a little easier, but is it necessary? That's, that's when we have to really get it over sometimes. And then finally, is it kind? Is it kind? As followers of Jesus, particularly within the body of Christ, we are called to edify, to build one another up, not tear one another down. And the same can be said for the way that we should treat people who are not yet followers of Jesus, to treat them with kindness and to speak to them with kindness and build them up in order to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We post all this negative stuff online, and then we say, by the way, God loves you. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense to me. One of my favorite theologians is a fellow named John Blanchard, and he says this, or he actually asks this question. Has James overdone it in taking so much space, taking up so much space, and warning us about the use of the tongue? Surely not. No sensitive Christian ought to be able to read his words without a sense of shame, mingled with a longing to know in his or her own life God's answer to the psalmist's prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I'd like for you to do something with me this morning. I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to restate that psalm, but I'm going to say it a phrase at a time. I want you to repeat it back, okay? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May that be true for us today and every day. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that you have allowed us to be together in this place this morning to sing songs of praise and gratitude, to express to you how much we love you and how grateful we all are for all the things that you've done in our lives. 
but also, Father, the gift of being together as your body, as folks all over, all over the city of Albuquerque, all over New Mexico, all over the world really are gathering on this morning to praise you, to worship you, for you and you alone are worthy of that. But, Father, it's also a great gift that you've given us in the fellowship that you've blessed us all with. Jesus Christ gives us commonality. He's not only the Lord and Savior of our lives, but he's what brings us together. And in him, even if we have nothing else in common, we have Jesus in common. Help us, Father, to remember that as we speak to one another, that our words would be uplifting and encouraging and edifying rather than a curse. That we would more and more, Father, take seriously the importance of our words and more and more allow you to transform our hearts so that it just becomes easier for us to be able to speak out of the overflow of our hearts as you're transforming us from the inside out. Father, thanks for speaking to us this morning. Thanks for guiding us. Thanks for being here with us. We pray, Father, that you will continue to speak to our hearts, continue to draw us to yourself. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.